1: So we're in Proverbs chapter 9, turning together to Proverbs 9. Just one verse I want to read. Uh, This time is verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Now We saw last time we were together in this fashion that the fear of the Lord is the starting point of wisdom, The word beginning is used in the chapter 1, really to note the fact that the fear of God is the chief part, it's like the the foundational concept of true knowledge and wisdom. But here in Proverbs 9, the word that's used here for beginning has a sense of of a starting point, the beginning as we often would use it in our own language today. And of course, that makes full sense. Having a proper fear of God is indeed the beginning of a wise choice. When you're confronted with a choice to make, well, you're going to make that choice based upon the fear of God if you're one who is indeed a God-fearer. And so wise choices do very much begin from the fear of God. And then from that, of course, wise actions will properly follow. The wise actions will follow in terms of the application of knowledge. Wisdom coming from the fear of God. Now, I don't want you to look at this and think, well, you fear God at the beginning of a life of wisdom, and then that doesn't continue. The the point is that every single act of wisdom begins in the fear of God. And so we're continually living in the fear of God because we're continually seeking to do wise things and think wisely in this world. And so we we have to the fear of God before us at all times. Not just when we first come to faith in Christ, but indeed every time we're faced with a decision to make in this world, we think often that wisdom may start with knowledge, knowing the right things will lead to wisdom, but here again in our text we see it is the fear of God that comes first. Again, that makes sense, because the fear of God, it governs the source of knowledge. There's something before knowledge, and that's the fear of God, which then determines our desire to know God's will on a matter. Knowledge from God, not from anything else. And so again, the fear of God uh, as the beginning of wisdom is the beginning of a right thirst for knowledge, It's the beginning of a a will to apply that knowledge, a desire to please the all-seeing God. And so I think you understand by now that the fear of God sets us on the right path of wisdom. And so tonight I want to explore this further. I want to think about the, the mechanism, if you like, as to how the fear of God enables wisdom. And really just two, two very simple uh, thoughts and headings to build our thoughts upon tonight. To begin with, I want to think about further scriptural evidence Okay, we've got here Proverbs 9, verse number 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's, it's making the point that there's a connection between the fear of God and wise conduct. Wisdom, the application of knowledge, wisdom, living wisely, not foolishly, the wisdom that comes from the fear of God, a connection between the fear of God and conduct. I want to show you that connection with some further scriptural evidence to begin with. So turn back, or maybe not turn at all, look across in your Bible, perhaps to Proverbs chapter 8, and the verse number 13. And here you'll see again a reference to the fear of the Lord. And here it says this: the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Now, you will note there the reference to hating the evil way. Now, the way is often used in Proverbs and elsewhere to describe the pathway that people walk with regards to their conduct, how they live, that they walk in the the right way or the wrong way. And so this description of the way here is, is describing, again, a hatred for sin and that which is against the way of God. But what you should notice here is that The fear of God does not only prevent us from walking in the sinful ways, but the fear of God, it actually provokes a hatred for internal heart attitudes. The fear of God is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. Of course, sin comes from pride. And so what we're seeing here is that the fear of God not only governs our actions, but it governs our attitudes. And so it's an internal thing. It's not a matter of a choice to make in life. And you go A or B, well, I I don't like the sinful choice, so I'll reject A and choose B. No, beyond that, before that, there's a recognition. I actually, I want my heart to be pure. Pure. I want my heart to be dealt with because when I fear God, I'm going to hate all evil, but I'm going to hate pride and arrogancy. I want a humble walk with God. How does that work? Well, it is the knowledge of the Lord assessing the human heart. we're seeing these definitions recurring. We understand that the fear of God is a perception of God's all-seeing eye, and God's all-seeing eye does not stop At our skin layer, the all-seeing eye of God goes beyond our, if you like, our physical humanity and sees the very depth of our soul. There's nothing hid from the Lord. The very deep recess of our hearts are exposed to God. And therefore, it's obvious to say the fear of God is to hate pride. We don't want that in our hearts. Because God exceeds our hearts. And so therefore the desire is to even put those hard sins to death. Not just sinful actions, but sinful attitudes. You so you'll see the same thing over in Proverbs chapter 23. I'm just going to look at this. Proverbs 23 in the verse number 17. Let not thine heart envy sinners. And leaving aside the word for sinner here, just... Let not thine heart envy. It's a commandment, isn't it? We're not to covet. It's a warning against a covetous heart. Let not thine heart covet. And again, the attention is really for those who are prosperous sinners. That's always a burden for the child of God. How come the wicked do so well? And we envy their prosperity, their success, or their power. But look what's said, let not thine heart end, sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Again, you're seeing here that the fear of God is, is governing our heart attitudes, not just the actions that may come out of that heart. And so uh, I've chosen those initial two verses to lay the foundation that when you see the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom, you're seeing a connection between the fear of God and conduct, but the fear of God affects conduct in such a way because the fear of God governs our very hearts. We want to deal with heart sin, not just external sin. Tragically, there are Christians And they are content with being approved by their peers in the church. They're content. People don't think I'm particularly bad. They don't think that I have a problem with this sin or that sin. And they live with the contentedness of their heart sins. Well, the fear of God is to hate these things. And so having a proper sight of God and understanding of God's holiness deals with the right core of our hearts. And when our hearts are right, well, then out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And a heart that sin is dealt with, is it going to go, it's going to speak those things of grace and not a bitterness or a jealous spirit. But let's look at another one. It's over in Proverbs chapter 16 this time. Proverbs 16 and the verse number 6. There's, there's no shortage of biblical evidence in terms of the connection between the fear of God and conduct. I've been selective here tonight. Proverbs 16 and the verse number 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. I want to suggest to you in New Testament terms, and that's pointing to our justification. Forgiveness. As mercy and truth comes together, ultimately, in the person of Christ, initially in the sacrificial system, pointing to Christ, and then finally in the person of our Lord and Savior. Mercy and truth iniquity is purged. But then look, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Justification and sanctification combined, both Old and New Testament. Forgiveness leads again to this way of holiness departing from evil. But what does the word say regarding how this departure is empowered? The departing from evil is empowered, it says here, by the fear of the Lord. It is in light of God's fear that we then depart from evil. It's a proof text again that fear controls and governs our decisions or choices and our conduct. It leads to wisdom. The foolish man runs in the evil way. The wise man departs from evil. How? Because of the fear of the Lord. And turn back now to 2 Chronicles chapter 19. Okay, moving quickly, but I want you to get a feel of this. Again, I don't want to do this one verse after another verse and preach them one at a time. I want you to feel the weight of this when you see it together in the Scriptures That again, there's so much evidence that the fear of God governs our conduct. Second Chronicles chapter 19 is describing Jehoshaphat, and again, his desire to bring about some renewal in the the, the people of God. You've got verse number four and Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. And he said, Judges in the land throughout all the fenced cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed what ye do. Okay, so here we're going to see a particular subset of society, those who are responsible for Judgment. And he says to them, Take heed what ye do, for ye judge not for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. What's going to govern the right judgment of the judges? It is a recognition that they are judging others, and the Lord God is at their right hand. Oh, for such judges today, who would judge in the fear of the Lord, who would not judge with partiality or through bribes, because you've got it here again, haven't you? Verse 7, Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you, take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. See, what's the issue when it comes to judgment? It's the old backhander, isn't it? If you can press a judge's palm with some money and persuade them with a the giving of a gift perhaps that they could judge favorably on your side. Well, no one sees that. No big deal. The judge can feather his nest uh, without any trouble from others. Uh, Joshua understands this. He says, the Lord sees you. And the fear of God governs your conduct as a judge. And so Jehoshaphat then sets up some of these Levites, uh, verse number eight, to perform uh, this responsibility to judge in controversies. And he says in verse number nine, he charged them, saying, Thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a perfect heart. The fear of God, it governs their hearts in such a way that it governs their performance as a judge. It's so important. Again, I'm just showing you examples of this. Ways in which this would govern the conduct of people in society today. Of course, it is said of the king of Israel, the God of Israel saith, the rock of Israel spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. I would apply this very much to the elders of our churches. We have a responsibility to judge fairly with justice, when things come before the church courts, whether it be presbytery or whether it be in our local church session, it is vital that we don't respect persons, that we don't take gifts. Uh, that may come in the form of generous offerings. that may come in other ways. Um, we seek to have a blind eye in the matter of church discipline. Rather, it is our duty to rule in the fear of God. Serious matter. Well, you've also got Nehemiah chapter 5 turn across to Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah chapter 5 and the verse number 9, and here we're seeing a time in the return from the time of the captivity, verse number 9, Nehemiah as you're dealing with the oppression of the poor. There are people that they're they're misusing, they're exacting usury from loans that have been given out. And Nehemiah says to him, It is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God? And he adds the additional motivation of the approach of the heathen or enemies. But note again, please, Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God? Again, those who have power in this world parents, pastors, political leaders. They often believe they can oppress the poor without any challenge. They can oppress others under their care. They think they get away with these things. And again, the remedy is, it is to walk in the fear of the Lord. The Lord sees. Nehemiah explains, or he, he is an example of that in his own conduct, verse number 15. But the former governors that had been before me were charged unto the people and had taken of them bread and wine beside forty shekels of silver, yea, even their servants bear rule over the people, but so did not I. Why, Nehemiah, why did you behave yourself with integrity though others did not? Well, because, he says, of the fear of God. And then across to you know, the Psalm 96. In Psalm 96, we've looked at this conduct in general terms, the fear of God governing our heart's sins, then governing our attitudes in society, as again, rulers or people with power governs our actions, our conduct, we walk in the fear of God. And now in the 96th Psalm, we see that the fear of God not only governs our hearts and our interactions with our neighbors, but it also governs our worship of God. It's governing conduct again. Verse number one, O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Verse three, Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Then verse number nine, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness Fear before him, all the earth. And you're seeing here that the foundation of worship that pleases God is the fear of God. A right awe and reverence of God, not treating God as a triviality, but God as the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, and come before such a God with reverence and awe and praising God with language and worship that exalts his name. It's the fear of God. You see, the fear of God not only keeps us from outward acts of sin or transgression against our neighbour, but it also drives us to obey the first table of the law of God, to love and to worship God. Holiness is not just in keeping the second table, honouring your parents and keeping yourself from adultery and stealing and those things. Holiness and the fear of God drives us to holiness that includes the first table of law. Worshiping God, no other gods, not taking God's name in vain, no idols, worshiping God as he commands, and keeping the fourth day, the Sabbath day, holy. All of this is motivated by the fear of God. We have an awe for God, a reverence for God, and it provokes God-honoring worship. It is little wonder when you go across to Second Corinthians chapter seven, the last reference here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move things to conclusion. Second Corinthians chapter seven. When you come across to the New Testament, you've one very helpful summary text of all of this. So what we've seen, the fear of God governs our hearts. The fear of God governs our actions, of our neighbors, and the fear of God governs our worship of our gods. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Old and New Testament demonstrates without any doubt the connection that there is between the fear of God and wisdom. The fear of God and wise conduct, the fear of God that puts sin to death and puts on righteousness, the fear of God leads to wisdom. It is the beginning of wisdom. And I'd suggest to you that if you find yourself in some area of your life struggling to be wise, there may well be a deficiency in your understanding of who God is. And from that, a lack of the fear of God It is the fear of God that governs our conduct. Well, what's the second thing tonight? If there is this further scriptural evidence, I want to think secondly and briefly about the scriptural connection or the scriptural explanation for this connection between the fear of God and conduct. Remember what the fear of God is. It is an awareness of God's all-seeing holiness and a desire to please the Lord. What you see in a survey of these texts is that fear is a controlling attitude when it comes to making decisions. That's not popular in the modern church. I understand that they want to think of, of love as motivating actions, and it does. The love of Christ constrains us. A recognition of Christ's love doesn't indeed drive our conduct. But that does not mean the fear of God has no place. These things are not mutually exclusive We fear the Son of God, and we love the Son of God in the complexity of what true faith is. But fear is a controlling attitude. That's actually true uh, on a very basic level. General fear, forgetting the fear of God, governs our actions in so many ways. But my assessment is that the fear of God is a stronger influence than any other fear. Let me show you three separate fears. The fear of God is stronger than the fear of man. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare. A snare is a trap. And the fear of man, that leads to inactivity in the ways of God's. We are trapped in the fear of God, preventing us from then exercising ourselves as we ought in the obedience of God's law. And the fear of man, it is a fear of harm. The text is clear, the fear of man brings a snare, but if you trust in the Lord, you shall be safe. The fear of man is a fear of harm, a fear of physical harm, even death itself, a fear of mockery a fear of persecution, a fear of a job loss, whatever it might be. The fear of man puts us in a snare, and we do not do what is right out of fear of some consequence at the hand of man. And the fear of man governs our lives to such a degree that bad choices can be made. But having the fear of God in our hearts, it keeps us from sin. Because what God thinks and what God wills is more important than what man thinks. And the fear of God, if that is our chief desire to please God, then whatever the negative consequence may be will still do us right. I'm not saying it's easy, this is an ideal circumstance. But in a spiritual person, the fear of God will trump the fear of man in such a way that we will do what is right no matter the cost or no matter the potential harm. It will help us from sins of omission and sins of commission when God comes first. The fear of God is also stronger than the fear of the multitude. Now, here I'm not thinking about harm so much, here I'm thinking about the power of peer pressure. Exodus 23 says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. And that text is talking about bearing false witness, entering into a lawsuit and joining with others to pervert justice. That's the idea of the text. But the principle is there, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. And the fear of God governs our actions when this temptation comes. You see, when we understand the fear of God, we know that God himself determines evil. He's the one that judges the heart. And the opinion of the multitude of what is right and what is wrong will not move the heart of the child of God. The fear of God is so strong in our souls, it does not matter what the multitude may think. The fear of God is going to govern our actions. And thus, the fear of God is stronger than the fear of the multitude. Young people feel this particularly. I'm not like the rest of my young people in my peer group. I'm not, I'm not like them. I want to walk with God. They don't want to walk with God, and they think, oh, I'm going to miss out in the company of this. And with that in mind, let me move on to the third thing, and that is that the fear of God is stronger than that fear of missing out, the fear of missing out in pleasure. Young people, they find the ways of God to be restrictive, and they fear if they walk with God, it will impair their joy Oh, if I have to obey God, I'll miss out on the joys of this world, so they may think. On the one hand, you may respond and say, yes, and so what? Yeah, you may miss out on the joys of this world, so what? But you know, beyond that, living in the fear of God is the understanding of the goodness of God's will. Remember that? We saw that. Living in the fear of God is recognizing that God's will is good and that God is pleased to bless those in the path of obedience. And so walking in the fear of God is walking in the path of true blessing and true joy. Not the false joy, the pleasure of sin for a season, but the joy that Moses reckoned in that passage when he had recompense, I had respect, sorry, under the recompense of reward. He understood That sin's pleasures were for a season. But the reward of Christ was for eternity. Little wonder that the wise man in Proverbs 15 says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. When you've got the fear of the Lord, you've got the blessing. You may have little, but that's better than having great treasure and trouble therewith. You see, the Proverbs tells us many things of the blessing of God. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Psalm 145, God will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. You see, the fear of God believes these promises, believes in the goodness of God and his willingness to bless and reward. When they pressed, Enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. See, it's the fear of God that drives you to prayer, isn't it? A recognition that though others don't see you, you know God sees you. And you know he's invited you to come and pray, and you delight in his smile, and therefore you come and you pray? And the fear of God controls that. And part of that is the thought... Well, the Father that sees in secret shall reward thee openly. So, recognize tonight afresh the impact of living daily before God in God's presence. Deficiencies in our spiritual conduct are directly tied to deficiencies in our thoughts of God. When we have the highest thoughts of God, walking as those who have been saved by God's grace, Walking as those who've been redeemed by God's grace with a new spirit, a new heart within us. When we have the highest thoughts of God as such, we'll walk in those ways that please the Lord. The fear of the Lord is indeed the beginning of wisdom.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.